Welcome to the Bill Kelly Show podcast. My name is Greg Brady in all week for Bill. Want to talk about the reopening phase two, whether this was the right call and what it comes with. We've all been about risk and reward during this pandemic. So as we look forward to doing the things we used to do, we'll talk about the anxiety, but we'll talk about the excitement level, especially with the great weather happening. Dr. Anna Banerjee joined us as well to talk about the concerning factors of this and where we're at masks we're not seeing as much of them as we should be so what other precautions should we be partaking in we'll talk to chris parker from wgr the buffalo Sabres surprised a lot of us today with a snap decision to fire their general manager and we go to atlanta georgia where the tragic shocking brutal death of rayshard brooks is still getting discussed antonio brown councilman for district three in atlanta will call us and we'll have an honest and frank discussion about where that city goes and where we all go when it comes to that trust that needs to be built. It's all coming up on the podcast today. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Coronavirus. Got to get into it. We did a lot more on policing yesterday as we you know rotate between the two big topics that are on everybody's mind. Policing, systemic racism, and COVID-19. Okay? Um And it's about masks, and I want to spend a couple minutes, and I want to put the phone lines out there as well, to find out from you if you're ready to go. Okay, 70% of the new cases yesterday in Ontario, and they're lower numbers, we're doing good things. Okay, We don't know whether we're, we're just being outside more than inside, whether we're watching our social circles and our social gathering. 70% of the new cases were in Toronto and Peel. Okay? They need work, and that showed yesterday. Toronto can't open yet. Peel can't open yet. Windsor-Essex can't open yet. But I want to know from you, the listener, are you more excited in a positive sense about reopening, getting to stage two? A lot of the things you could not do, you will be able to do as of Friday. Are you more excited in a positive sense or anxious in a nervous sense? And you can be a little bit of both. We've all been weighing pros, cons, risks, rewards, we don't want to step here on that first step of the escalator and, and roll right down the steps. Some of you are excited to go for a haircut. Some of you are excited to go to a uh, salon. Some of you have not seen your beautician or your esthetician or your cosmet- cosmetologist in ages. Some of you have been dying to get that, that, you know, that, that tattoo or that piercing. You, uh, honestly, it's a, you know, get that. You've been dating someone for five months. It's probably time. Go the Johnny Depp, Kate Moss route and get her or his name right on the top of your shoulder there. If you've made it through COVID-19 with them for four or five months, you know it's for life. You, it, you're you very, very sure about this. And some of you just want some of you just want to go and uh, and and go to the dentist. And some of you want to go and get physio because, uh, like me, you're, you when you run or bike or play tennis too often, your legs hurt. But I want to talk about the face coverings, too. For that, by the way, that number, 905-645-3221. 905-645-3221. Let it all out right now, how you're feeling. And it's okay to say, I'm not sure we're ready yet. It's okay to say, I trust myself, I don't trust others. Like being a defensive driver. You, you're, you'd drive faster if you could only trust everybody else on the road. You know how you you had that tension around 1 in the morning driving somewhere? You're coming from you know a concert, a game, whatever, and you're fine, but you're not sure everyone else is? I think that's how a lot of people are going to approach Stage 2 starting on Friday, where we live. There's amazing, amazingly good retail numbers from the United States that kind of document 
that reopening, again, risk-reward here, reopening has done this incredible boost. There's people that have saved money, if you're lucky enough to have, and there's people that are ready to spend it. They've been, you know, collecting a nest egg basically for three or four months. Can't spend it here. Can't spend it there. Can only do so much Amazon shopping. You only want to do so much Amazon shopping, but you want to do things now for yourself, and you will this weekend or the week after. Okay, retail's good. Retail needs that boost. The places you love, the independent places, even the big places, they need that boost. You've seen the lines: Home Depot, Walmart, Canadian Tire, these big places. And I mentioned golf at the top. Golf courses can't can't have enough tee times. We'll talk about your positives and negatives. Whether you're excited in that positive sense, you're all go. You don't. You hope stage two moves to stage three super fast. Or whether you've got some anxiety about it, that you're doing the right things, but you're not sure everyone else will. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We uh, are very pleased to be joined by our next guest. We're talking about the reopening, talking about the precautions we should still be partaking in. Dr. Anna, Anna Banerjee uh, joins us uh, from U of T, uh, and we're happy to have her on. Dr. Banerjee, I appreciate the time. Thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Tell me what your uh, your I guess what would be the cautions you would give to these communities? We know it's not happening in Toronto or Peel yet or Windsor-Essex. What's the caution for the average person in some of this reopening from stage one to stage two in your mind? Um, well, the numbers are going down in the past little while in Ontario um, and in Toronto. Um, however, um, when you look around the world, there are... There are um, Outbreaks occurring in China near Beijing. You have 2,000 cases in Florida. So is this over? No one knows. No one has a crystal ball, and they can't really say, you know, is this going to, when we start opening, reopening things up, are there going to be uh, cases or outbreaks, especially in communities that haven't had a lot of COVID? Because, you know, maybe this COVID is sort of burning itself through Toronto and other regions, but no one really knows. So I think that we... You know, it's a balance. It's a fine balance of trying to uh, maintain, um, you know, infection control, you know, and putting on masks and that, and mm-hmm. and and opening up the economy. I think that right now it's very difficult for a lot of people, and there's a lot of stress and possibly some harm being done in this shutdown. So, where do you find the balance? What do you? What is going to happen? We don't know. So. You know, as we um, open things up, and I think opening things up is the right thing to do. Um, you know, these sort of artificial, we're opening up this region and not this region, we're opening up daycares, and now we're doing funerals and not weddings. And, you know, a lot of that's very confusing, and I think a lot of people get um, are sort of frustrated with, you know, my bubble of 10 versus my outside bubble, et cetera. But I think we need to open it up. Uh, at this point in time, but I think continue to be very cautious and vigilant because we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen in September. Um, yeah, Dr. Anna Banerjee, our, our guest. Um, the other thing is, I, I, I don't know if the media and, uh, you know, I'll call myself out. I don't know if we're, if we're doing enough when we look at the case numbers and when we look at deaths. What's not in there, uh, Dr. Banerjee, is is the, the damage that it's uh, the damage that the, the COVID is causing long term uh, to people's lungs, to people's respiratory systems. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing anecdotal stories about that, but they're not at the top of a lot of you know a lot of major newscasts. They just aren't. No, and that's true. It, I would say the majority of people get COVID and um, 
recover from it. They get minor symptoms or it's like a flu-like illness. They have body aches, coughs, and that. But there there are some people uh, that get COVID and have fatigue for prolonged periods of time, uh, muscle muscle aches. Um, they 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 do have loss of smell. I've lost my smell, you know, for now two months. Um, so. There, there are a lot of people who have the long, long-term consequences of COVID. And I think we're really underestimating the number of people COVID has impacted because we're only testing um, a certain number of people and uh, the test is not 100%. So we're missing the people that have symptoms and have a negative test. Also, there's a bunch of asymptomatic people. And then there's the people that had COVID a couple months ago when we weren't asking them to be tested. And yeah. many of those people still have... Uh, ongoing fatigue, muscle aches, um, and other symptoms. What's your observation of kids? A lot of listeners would, would be curious to get an expert's take on that. And and I ask that because I'm, uh, you know, we don't have kids getting sick from this. Uh, if 13-year-olds if were... Honestly, if they were dropping dead, we wouldn't even be talking about reopening. It'd be uh, it'd, it'd be a thousand. It would feel a thousand times worse even just to wake up in the morning. But they aren't. But is there still a great concern in your mind that they could be asymptomatic spreaders? So Absolutely. great concern with out with sports. Great concern with schools. Great concern, obviously, with daycare. Well, I mean, uh, they had all these rules put in place last week um, through the Ford government on Wednesday saying we're going to open on Friday with with uh, personal protection, hand sanitizers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really, you know, you can throw a lot of that out the window because when you've got when you have a bunch of kids together, especially young kids, toddlers, there's no way you can keep them away from each other. And there's no way you can prevent those kids from getting infected. And most kids, when they get infected, will have mild illness. You know, it's a very small percentage that end up having severe illness um, or, or long-term consequences or even death. But the concern is that, that they are um, then potentially transmitting it to their households. And the concern for me is really transmitting it to vulnerable populations. But as we open up, you know, hair salons and, and pizza parlors and restaurants and all that, COVID will be spreading. I mean, and, and we don't know to what extent it seems to be going down, um, but, but children um, can be asymptomatic spreaders of the infection, for sure. Dr. Anna Banerjee, our guest, uh, faculty lead, Indigenous and Refugee Health uh, at uh, University of Toronto. Joining me, Bill Kelly, off today. This is Greg Brady, and you're listening to 900 CHML. I wanted to ask you about um, racial data for this, and some of all, and and you know, sometimes we're hesitant to discuss it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for people, but it it like in the states, it is hammering people of uh, you know of different races differently. It is hammering people um, of different uh, you know in different economic regions differently. Um, should should we be seeing more of those stats? Is the province is our whole country doing enough? to go demographically on this and and i mean just just for the sake of public health i feel like people should the, the more we know the better absolutely we need race-based data i mean we don't know you know we can guess at which populations are being affected it's it's often new immigrants or it's people living in poverty and often those are racialized people um, right now the indigenous communities mostly have held uh, off COVID by having restrictions in and out of the community. But if once those barriers come down, you know, possibly Indigenous communities will be disproportionately impacted. So we really need to collect race-based data, data 
if we want to work towards equity and trying to improve things in marginalized populations. And I've got a couple minutes, but I, I know you're you're patient off the top with me and my my daily plea about masks. I'm not trying to show how virtuous I am or how much I care, but I just I look out there and I I don't get it. I I do not get why I'm walking in a store doing curbside pickup and and seeing 40 percent, 30 percent of people wearing them. I know it's hot. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's something you're doing for other people as well as yourself. It's only courteous to me. Am I nuts? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. I think what, what uh, COVID did for a lot of people is that they, they felt powerless and they felt that this was something happening and they had really no control. And one thing you can control is, you know, if you wear a mask, then you, you are part of the solution and you are then preventing your uh, virus, if there is virus on you, or your secretions from being spread. And so it's really something that we do, that we should continue to do uh, for for each other, for ourselves and for each other as we move forward, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know, you know, right now it's, there's not a lot of uh, COVID outside of GTA, but it may escalate. And that is something where we can take back control and say, you know, I'm taking a stand, I'm wearing my mask, because I'm doing this for my community. And I think that's really important. Dr. Banerjee, thank you so much for your insight today. I, I know I appreciate it. Our listeners did as well. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. There's okay. Dr. Anna Banerjee from uh, U of T. Yeah, I, I mean, again, people who have made this, she nails it. Okay, she does. It's a small sacrifice that benefits others. Okay, and if people want to play the uh, freedom card, what what is what is freedom? I hear that word all the time. I know it gets thrown around like a like an anvil, uh, you know, in the states. Like the thing the you know the coyote gets dropped off on him all the time when he's chasing the roadrunner. But freedom is is about who you are inside, not not who others expect you to be. Okay, because we're individuals at heart. I look out for number one all the time, all the time. I'm looking out for number one. Okay, the the three people in my household and me. It's us against the world sometimes, but that's not what this is, okay? The individual and the group belong to one here, okay? And I can, again, I can roll my eyes with the best of them at all, you know, at the concept of let's let's all be equal, let's all be inclusive, because I know life doesn't work that way sometimes. But put a mask on, okay? <laughs> okay? It's it's It says a lot about your definition of self and whether that self has evolved or not. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. This has happened since the Pagulas have owned the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. Um, there's been a lot of dysfunction might be the word. That's the D word. There's other words starting with other letters that you can use. Uh, but they fired general manager Jason Botterill today. Did Botterill have much to stand on via the team's record since 2017? No, he did not, but <laughs> it's been an unbelievable uh, revolving door. Uh, Kim Pagula, the co-owner, said Botterill's job was secure three weeks ago. And in the article I read, I didn't see that she winked after she said it, and I didn't think she nudged anybody with her elbow, which, as you remember a few weeks ago, was the cool way to give a handshake now. It, it might be that way uh, going forward. Now, I would never tell you to listen to another man or woman's radio show except the, the, you know, the station I'm working on, but they'll have a bit of a humdinger, and they've had these type of shows before, uh, from Chopin the Bulldog on WGR 550 across the Peace Bridge in Buffalo. 
Christopher Parker joins us now. You've done these shows. I mean, can you just run one of the old shows and just take the edit the name out, and then you you all have a nice afternoon in the sun? We have, uh, <laughs> yeah, we we've been together long enough that yeah, we we could we could do this about I don't know, Buddy Nick's getting fired. We could do this about Darcy Regig. Yeah, we got a lot. We've been together for a lot of it. Yeah, there's carnage. Greg, it's uh, carnage. Not only did Kim Pagula say the job was safe, she also quoted as saying, this is just a few weeks ago, like you just intimated, that they have access to lots of information that we don't. Right. Uh, so like they, 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 they can tell that Jason's doing a good job, whereas we are clueless because we just see them in last place year after year. Correct, correct. Did you? So does this take you as much by surprise as a Sabres GM or coach uh, dismissal as in recent memory? Uh, yes, mostly because it, it just seemed like they had passed through whatever uh, threshold uh, you know you'd be looking for as far as timing goes. Like I just I just did not expect that this would happen now. You know they they've been not playing since March. There's been no reason to think they'd be playing anytime soon. Um, so they've had many months to ponder this and consider this. And we've had the public statements like we've already referenced supporting Botterill. And mm-hmm. there is also the question of just how fluid the Pagulas are in, in the current economy. A lot of the decisions they've made in particular with regard to Sabres game day employees and even the staffing um, of the organization have lent themselves to some concern about whether or not they're as stable financially and, you know, um, on, on good footing there. So with all that said, I didn't think they'd want to have another dead contract to throw on the wood pile, but here they've, they've done that. And um, so, you know, performance-wise, I think a change was warranted, but given the current circumstances, we kind of settled for, we think maybe the quarantine saved Jason Bottrell's job. Yeah, I, I, you know, th- there have been, you know, bad sports owners and dysfunctional sports owners, but I, I don't know that there's been a longer list of GMs and coaches that have gotten to sit at home and get paid. I, I know the Bills just stopped paying Rex Ryan mere months ago, and I, I read this tweet today, and I can't, I apologize, I can't remember who sent it out, but Tim Murray is still on the Sabres payroll from his time as GM. That was shocking to me. <laughs> well, I think. I think he got a contract extension during the season before he was let go. So if that was five years, then, you know, uh, that would make sense or even three years because that's only 2017. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, that would add up. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you you, believe me, we we could be here for a while trying to, I I don't have the list on recall at the top of my head, but there's, there's a lot of people that have been paid for not working. Chris Parker, our guest, Chopin, the Bulldog, WGR 550. The breaking news this morning that Jason Botterill has been relieved of his general manager duties. Kevin Adams takes over. It's not on an interim basis. He's the full-time GM. That leads me, uh, Chris, to ask about Ralph Kruger. Strikes me as a popular coach. Uh, If you like the analytics, if you like the numbers, and most smart people do now, um, people weren't pinning uh, the disappointment, if there was any, this year in the 69 games played on Ralph Kruger. But every GM likes to have his own guy. Do you think Kruger is, um, whenever we get back to, to playing the 2021 season, why, is Ralph Kruger a, a safe coach for that season? I I think so. I mean, I don't I don't know Kevin Adams, you know, real well. I've I've met him 
and talked to him about a variety of things over the years. Um, yeah, hockey related, but like not necessarily the Sabres. Um, he was involved with the junior Sabres quite heavily for a few years, but, but anyway, um, I would be more stunned than I am about Bottrell and timing of this today. If Ralph Kruger weren't behind the bench, whenever the Sabres begin play in 2021 again, I I think Mm. the organization really appreciates his ability to be a spokesperson and an effective one. Um, I think you look no further than the unsolicited support he's gotten from Jack Eichel, who's easily the most important person in the organization. Um, so I think Kruger's on very stable ground. It would, it would really stun me if they hired Kevin Adams and said, oh, sure, you can, you can go ahead and fire Ralph Kruger and start over with your own guy. I, I just would not think that that would be a part of this for Adams. Yeah, and, and I've had people in the league tell me that the, the pandemic, if anything, has at least el- el- prolonged a couple uh, coaching jobs. It's it's probably, I think, Bob is going to stay in San Jose. I know how popular he is in Buffalo. Uh, uh, yeah, great guy. And Jeff Blashill may have survived in Detroit uh, just because of the way the season was cut short. So you're talking to a lot of a lot of season ticket holders on this side of the border, Hamilton, Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, and when the Sabres are rolling like they were, uh, you know, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, <laughs> you know, it was a big deal. Um, so it's but people can't walk with their uh, their tickets right now. They can say, "Well, I'm giving." We don't have a clue when when we'll all be able to get together and sit in an NHL arena again. What what will the tolerance level be of Sabres fan? We don't even know if we'll see them on the ice in November, December, January. Um, so it's kind of that 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 pause in in our entire life, even with this news today. But what's the level of disgruntlement? Uh, do you think upon hearing this news? Like I said, Bottero couldn't totally stand on his record. No, yeah, no, I I, I think. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think people will be supportive of the change, but they'll probably find their way to what the hell has Kevin Adams ever done? Uh, how is he the one who's going to fix this? Uh, because mm-hmm. the Sabres fans are at, I mean, we, we don't even like zero to 60 in record time. Like we're talking like Utah thought, salt flats like drag car motor just there's no tolerance at all we everything they do makes everyone insane all of the time (laughs) so it's a very difficult uh place they're in right now um so i don't envy anybody trying to take this job on because the fans right now i I mean we've been through a lot we've been Mm -hmm. bankruptcy and perp walks with owners and a lot of just really ugliness and I don't know that I've ever felt the fan base. The danger is that people aren't even angry anymore because they're so fatigued. Um, That's where we are. It's it's a pretty it's a it's a tough scene right now. Well, once you get apathy, uh, yeah, it's something the Maple Leafs uh, you know came close to but didn't get there in in their lean years. It's something you can talk about the New York Knicks, but I don't think it's there. But you're it, there's a lot of markets where and there's a lot of baseball markets I could point to where if the fans are less angry and they're just apathetic, uh, that's bad box office. That's terrible box right. office. In fact, especially in a gate driven league, the NFL you can you can sustain it if some people stay if fifteen twenty thousand people stay home. The owners are aren't any more or any less rich. Um, people need, but the Pagulas need people to come, and they need that place to be filled, and they need them spending money. Yeah, that's right. And um, you know, the arena is in need of uh, a lot of attention. 
Um, it's not really up to the standards that you see around the league now. Fans know that. Um, and, that, and that's not a new problem. Like that's been, that's been two, three years in the making <laughs> and really yeah. not much has been done to affect a change in that area. So there's, um, there's just, there's a lot. Nobody's happy. Of course, winning cures a lot of that, but you know, mm. as we know, well, they're not winning either. So, um, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, you, you know, pandemic aside, like if everything, is buttoned up and okay, which might be a pipe dream at this point. But as far as the virus goes, when hockey returns, I don't know what the building's going to look like. Now, last thing, naturally, uh, I was going to say naturally the Sabres missed the playoffs, uh, but but exceptional circumstances, they missed by percentage points to the Montreal Canadiens. So they would have played the Penguins in a best-of-five series. And in a normal universe where we can go to the games, that sounds pretty great, a, a Penguins-Sabres yep. playoff series. I'm sure the Penguins are, you know, uh, wishing they were facing Linus Allmark instead of uh, Carey Price, but you can't have everything. Um, but the, are, are you more, are Sabres fans more into the idea of the draft lottery, much as they were the McDavid Eichel year, or would they have liked to have seen these games in empty arenas? Um, hmm. I, this is a tough one. Um, I think we hate the lottery, too. Uh <laughs> Because we well, I mean they won, they, you know, they won Rasmus Dahlin, and like, yeah. okay, look, everything's a mess. This is a well. Here, I'll I'll try to you know, first word cluster, right? Like this is it's a disaster. <laughs> um, but hey, we got Rasmus Dahlin, so like that'll fix everything. We'll just throw the first overall pick at this problem, and that'll fix it. And we're two years into his career, and five years into Jack Eichel's career, and we're still paying people to not work for them. So no, I don't think the lottery. Nobody's into the lottery. No, people are into people are into anger about them. That's what they're yeah. into. They're not. It's just it's it's not. Uh, I, I don't think the lottery fixes anything for people here. Well, got that six point five percent chance, uh, and and let's yeah. let's face it, uh, that's that's better than. Uh, well, I was going to say that's better than six point zero, the six point five. But uh, it'll be a gangbuster show today. Thanks for doing this. Uh, give Mike my best, and uh, and have a great uh, afternoon taking those calls. All right, best to you and the family, too, Greg. Stay you got it. Uh, Chris Parker, WGR 550. The Sabres uh, relieve Jason Botterill of their duties. Been out of the playoffs. Longest drought going uh, right now, the Buffalo Sabres, let alone winning a round. Um, and it's it's a struggle. And, yeah, we've all talked about this. Your entertainment dollar, your disposable income dollar. I think sports is going to realize we're, we're going to have to, and we're also going to choose to, be a little more particular with it. Okay, there's there's a lot of people. I know there's people that can't wait for sports to get back, and I know there's people. And I'm almost leaning this way. I was going to do this as a topic tomorrow, but just to just to, and expand on it. But just to be brief here, there's a lot of people that just aren't going to feel the same about it until we're all back together again. Until we can go to the games, go on those road trips, uh, fly to games, drive to games, um, experience new things, meet new people, and watching on TV in empty arenas. It's I guess it's better than nothing, but it really doesn't replicate what sports is supposed to be to all of us. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you were like me Saturday night, uh, you couldn't keep your eyes. It was I, I've been to the city of Atlanta uh, for an Atlanta Hawks playoff series against the Detroit Pistons. I've been for a wedding. I got on a plane first time after 9-11, I think two or three days after flights were allowed again, and I went to a wedding two weekends after uh, 9-11 in 2001 in Atlanta. Uh, love the city. 
I don't get there enough. I, I don't even want to call it underrated. Uh, and with what's transpired over the last four days, there's still a lot of pain and still a lot of anger. And it's all understandable if you've seen the video and you've followed up on some of the subsequent details. Our next guest is a city councilor um, in District 3. I saw him on TV on BBC, and I thought, this guy is passionate. This guy uh, is well worth talking to, and we're lucky he's spending some time with us. Antonio Brown uh, joins us now on 900 CHML here in Hamilton. Antonio, it's Greg Brady. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I, I saw you uh, uh, marching on the weekend on uh, demonstrating, and I, uh, I had great admiration for your, your words. They were eloquent. They were meaningful. I can only imagine that the pain uh, the city's in from Friday going into Saturday, going into Sunday, we're Tuesday almost afternoon now, Antonio, and, and, and I bet not much has changed. It's still the same. It is. And, you know, this is something that has been occurring in this city for years. You know, Rayshard Brooks is not the first black life that has been lost at the hands of police brutality. And, you know, that's the position that I, I, I've, I've been speaking on is the fact that, you know, his death is on all of our hands in this city because we could have had measures taken, legislation passed to work to discontinue this from continuing to happen. And it's just really disheartening because people are hurting. And as I stand on the front lines with these folks, you know, they're telling me they don't feel like they're being heard. And I think as elected officials, as people in government, we need to start listening to the people. We don't listen to the people enough. You wake up Saturday morning, Antonio, um, and have lunch Saturday afternoon. Are you already anticipating, if you will, Saturday night's going to go um, as as it did? I had no idea. And, you know, I had been galvanizing the young people in the city to peacefully protest. I had been working behind the scenes with the chief of police and our fire department to keep things organized and peaceful as they expressed their First Amendment right of freedom of speech. And then this happened. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it just it was so discouraging because it's like all this work we've already put in to try to move this forward to a place of action where we can stop talking about the issues and actually start doing something about it. And it was like, you know, come on. I, if I was a police officer, I would think, I would think very long and hard before even considering pulling out my gun in any environment, unless I absolutely felt like someone was either shooting back at me or there was something that was getting ready to happen where I was potentially going to lose my life. And you've seen in all of these mm -hmm. circumstances, not just Rayshard Brooks, but other situations that have happened in this city, these folks are not in danger. There are two police officers on one man, and he was, he was under the influence. He was unarmed. You know, they practice taser training. They get tased in their training, so they know what it feels like. So you can't say that that, that was caused for them to react the way that they did. Antonio Brown is our guest, Atlanta City Councilman, uh, and he's joining us talking about the tragic shooting. The deadly shooting of Rayshard Brooks on Friday night. Uh, it, it's I watched the uh, lawyer last night, El Chris Stewart, uh, who's been um, again ca so captivating, and he's talking to Don Lemon on CNN last night. And I don't know if you saw it, but he made a point I hadn't thought of. He said, "It's one thing. It's one thing, Antonio. If while wrestling with the two cops." he reaches for a, a firearm and they deem it necessary, deem it necessary to shoot him. That's what, that's what his own lawyer, the family lawyer said that. And, and that said, th there is zero justification while running away 
no longer any sort of physical threat, certainly not a deadly threat to the cops. No reason at that point to shoot the bullets when they shot the bullets. Do you agree with the lawyer? I, I absolutely agree. And let me let me just say this, because I don't want this conversation to be one sided. Like, I don't understand, you know, that we have a police force that experiences trauma every day. They're seeing killings. You know, they're they're involved in hostile environments. And we need to make sure that they're healthy. We need to make sure that they have the mental health evaluations that they need. But in addition to that, that incident could have easily been de-escalated. Mm-hmm. We could, if, if, if that community, if that officer would have known that community member, that guy or the, the guy would have known the officer, he could have said, you know what, you're intoxicated. Let me call you an Uber so you can go home. It was obvious from the video that, that he, he was not trying to be hostile. He complied almost in every way. So, you know, we need to get back to community policing. I don't see that anywhere all over this country. I enacted one of the first police community policing units with foot patrols and bicycle patrols in one of my communities that had a very high crime rate. In less than three months, we were able to reinstall trust back into the community and decrease crime by 57%. This is a model that we need to implement all over this country to start working better with our communities and building relationships with them. Did you expect uh, your police chief, Erica Shields, you've talked about the good work that has been done amidst a lot of chaos, especially the last few weeks. Did you expect her to resign? Did you want her to resign? So look, I, and I've said this and, 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 you know, people have had issues with what I've said, but you know, if chief Shields is resigning, we all need to resign because we're all equally accountable. And, and, and that's what I said, you know, from the very beginning. And, you know, the reality is, is that we could have had legislation pushed forward to start working towards changing the conditions of what our, our, our folks in our communities are experiencing every day, uh, worrying about whether or not they're safe walking down their communities. You know, we could have done that. We could have put legislation to ensure mental health evaluations were done. We could have put legislation to ensure de-escalation tactics were taking place. We could have done community policing. We didn't do any of those things. Rayshard Brooks is Mm -hmm. not the first death, black life that has been lost in this city. It's, It's been happening for years in this city. Antonio, are you, I always look at, at most things and say you can be optimistic, but you better be realistic as well. I, look, we've been there with uh, the pandemic for four months. You can be optimistic about when it's going to end, when we'll all get back to doing normal things again. But but reality also has to set in. Are you there as well with the trust in community that the police will have, that, that we will get to that point? Can we get there? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to take a bunch of black squares on Instagram or a bunch of companies throwing money at it. It's going to take a lot of systemic changes, isn't it? Absolutely. And what it's going to take above all is a commitment that all of us have to make, not just in the city of Atlanta, but across this country. We have to make a commitment to do better, to be better, to understand, to connect, to communicate, to relate to one another, to understand the environments and conditions that we all come from. You know, we we have to make that commitment because if we don't, We'll never move forward. We'll never get past this. I don't care how many millions or billions of dollars are thrown into organizations or into movements. None of that will matter 
if we don't understand the importance of making a commitment to come together. We, th these are human lives, human lives that we're talking about. You know, a building mm -hmm. can be built back up. You know, you know, the destruction that is happening, I understand it. I don't condone it, but I understand it. When people don't feel heard, they resort to any means necessary to make mm -hmm. sure you hear them. And that is what's happening across this country. We loved having you on today. We need to hear more of you, uh, see more of you. The, the message is incredibly important. We got our own issues. Uh, if you do any any Googling, we got our own issues in Canada with these very same things you're talking about. And, and I'm sure you're seeing from the demonstrations that a lot of countries in Europe, a lot of countries all over the world are realizing they've got a lot of the same issues the U.S. does. We all got to do a better job. Thank you so much for your time today, and I wish you the best. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to be on your show. Happy to. Antonio Brown, city councilor uh, in Atlanta. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.